0: Hello, Grace Baptist Chapel. This is Blake with me, Pastor Ryan. It's been a few weeks, but we are back walking through the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. Today, we're going to review uh, a few chapters that we have not yet talked about, chapters 9 and 10, and then we'll also get to this week's chapter, chapter 11. Pastor Ryan, how are you doing, brother?
1: I'm doing well, brother.
0: Well, let's talk about um, beginning with chapter 9 is of free will. Pastor Ryan, is there anything in particular you want to highlight about this chapter?
1: Yes, actually, I think you know, in a church like ours, that's reformed, or some would say, uh, holds to the doctrines of grace. You know, when you see the phrase free will, some people think that that means, oh, you guys must not be reformed Uh-oh. because you believe that people choose. And actually, we would say, yes, people do. Choose. But this chapter, uh, when it speaks of free will, um, helps us by giving a definition first. Um, the first paragraph says this God has endued the will of man with that natural liberty and power of acting upon choice, that is neither forced nor by any necessity of nature determined to do good or evil. And then the chapter begins to describe in paragraph two what our will was like uh, before the fall. Um, that we had the freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and pleasing to God. Um, But in paragraph 3, it then describes how after our fall into sin, we've lost all ability to will any spiritual good accompanying salvation. Our will is still free, but it is now influenced by sin, and we will never will to do that which is good accompanying unto salvation. And then in paragraphs 4 and 5 we read about what salvation does. Paragraph four says, when God converts a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, he frees him from his natural bondage under sin and by his grace alone enables him to freely will and to do that which is spiritually good. So I guess we could say this, before the fall, we had a free will that could choose to do that which was good and honoring to God. After the fall, we have a, Will that is free, but that's in bondage to sin. And we cannot will and won't will to do that which is good unto salvation. But after the fall, because of God's grace by his spirit, now we can, quote, freely will to do in that which is spiritually good.
0: Okay, so people who are not saved, people who do not have the Holy Spirit, they have free will, but they, with their free will, choose to sin. Is that how you would say it?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Their will is always inclined by this master of sin.
0: Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Chapter 10 is on of effectual calling. Anything here you want to highlight?
1: Yes. I think the first paragraph is important. Um, It says that those whom God has predestined unto life, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. And then the paragraph continues. But this understanding of effectual calling is that there is, of course, an outward call of the gospel. When you or I are preaching uh, in a Lord's Day service and we call people to Christ, that's an outward call. But that there is an actual inward call uh, by the Spirit that is effectual. It produces... Uh, that which it is after and god as the paragraph continues the spirit enlightens our minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of god this is the effectual call Um, and this is this is important and we won't respond to christ without the work of the spirit so this chapter fleshes that out but there's one thing that's important to say in this chapter And it's actually a paragraph that many people wrestle with. It's paragraph 3 of chapter 10. Uh, The
0: elect infants.
1: Yes. Elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit, who works when and where and how he pleases so also are all elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. This paragraph is a very pastoral paragraph that the writers of the confession put in here, and it has to do with the question of what happens to infants who die? We don't know. We, don't, we don't, They haven't lived long enough to see them respond to the gospel. Or what about those who um, are mentally disabled or have some other kind of impairment and they can't actually outwardly respond? What are we to do with them? And here, essentially, what the confession is saying in a very pastoral way is any infant and any disabled person who is elect of God from before the foundation of the world will in the same way as every other believer be regenerated. Um, Actually, Jim Renahan in his new book uh, that we've referred to uh, before several times to the judicious and impartial reader speaks well of this um, when he writes this. He says... Uh, The statement of the Confession seeks to address circumstances such as this. People with mental or physical disabilities were savable and in the same manner as infants. If God's decree of election included them, his mercy would reach them, the Spirit would regenerate them, and Christ's righteousness would be imputed to them. He also quotes from um, one of the writers of the Confession, Nehemiah Cox, when he's writing about infants. And this is important. You see, infants that go to heaven don't go to heaven because they're innocent. They go to heaven because of the mercy of God. And Nehemiah Cox in the 1600s writes this, speaking of infants, they have sin enough to damn them, but there is grace enough in God and merit enough in the blood of Christ to save them, unto which, and not their own innocency, they must be beholding for salvation. So there will not be a single person, adult or infant, in all of eternity that will have any claim to heaven but the grace and blood of Christ. And I think this is a very helpful paragraph. And of course, it's challenging because on this side of eternity, how sorrowful it is to see infants and young children pass away. And yet we know that it happens. But we can have a hope that even though they weren't old enough to be able to respond to the gospel, that if indeed they are of uh, God's elect people, that they will see heaven's shore.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's worth mentioning here um, that this is paragraph ten of effectual calling, right after the free will passage. So mm. we just mentioned very good that we have free will, but we choose to sin because we are sinners. And then yet here, again, just highlighting how the confession is structured, there's a lot of comfort that this chapter immediately uh, comes right after free will. The free will chapter, in many ways, is bad news because we read about how we Mm. choose to sin. And then here, um, the father effectually calls his elect. Mm. So a lot of comfort in, in, in that truth. And then a lot of comfort in paragraph three about the infants, which you just highlighted. So yeah. a, lot of, a lot of comfort on the heels of that. Well, let's move on to chapter 11. This is of justification. And again, this makes sense uh, in light of uh, the structure of the confession. We're just moving right along, aren't we? Yes. And so yeah. if you're, you're, you're reading this, this is all making sense. And then after this, we have of adoption. Um, so again, highlighting just how wonderful this is set up for us. So chapter 11 of justification, anything you want to highlight for us? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think it's important for us to say that this chapter that we're reading this week is of a very important doctrine. How is it that the Christian or the person is viewed as righteous in God's sight? That's what justification is. It's to be declared righteous. The first paragraph, as usual in the confession, gives us a description of the doctrine and that we are justified, we are Declared righteous in the sight of God because of Christ's sake alone. And then it talks about how in paragraphs two and three and following that doctrine works. I think it's important for us to say this that paragraph six, the final paragraph, answers an important question on how to put our Bible together. Well, what about those who lived before Jesus? Yeah. How are they justified? And sometimes people think, well, they they had to keep the law, but after Christ it was about, you know, it was about trusting in him. But Ever since the fall, no one has been able to keep the law. So the Bible is a united whole in that Old Testament and New Testament saints alike need Jesus. Paragraph 6 says, The justification of believers under the Old Testament was, in all these respects, meaning the previous five paragraphs, one and the same with the justification of believers under the New Testament. Look, Abraham believed the promise of God in the sending of, the, of the, the skull-crushing seed of the woman, and it was accounted to him as faith. He was justified, declared righteous in the courtroom of God by faith in the coming Christ. And you and I are justified by faith in the Christ who's already come. And so that's an important thing to say as we think about how to put the Bible together. But I would encourage our people, read these six paragraphs this week. They are rich. And they are full of soul nourishing truth that we need Christ and that Christ is available to us. Thoughts you have on that?
0: You said it well. Any other points you want to highlight here?
1: No, I don't think so. I think this is a chapter where if anyone in our congregation is reading any of these paragraphs of chapter, well, any of the confession, but this doctrine in particular, if you have questions or something doesn't make sense to you, please ask us. I'd love to talk with you further about this one.
0: Yes. Um. Let me just mention one of those paragraphs that maybe, yeah, um, maybe will raise some questions for us. Paragraph 5 mm. speaks of how God continues to forgive the sins of those who are justified. Mm. Great. Um, and it says that they can never fall from this state of justification. This is, again, good news. Um, but it says this, and this is, this is interesting. It says, they may by their sins fall under God's fatherly displeasure. Um, What do you think is is meant by that? Fatherly displeasure. I think the
1: key word there is fatherly. Um, Whereas a sinner who is not saved is under the wrath of God, the judge, the righteous and holy judge. A Christian is only ever uh, a son or daughter of God who is no longer under the wrath of God. And so when we sin, there may be a... um, to use human language, a displeasure of God, but it's a fatherly displeasure. It's not a disowning, disjustifying displeasure. You remain justified. Yes, it is a displeasure with our sin, but nonetheless, our identity as saved in Christ doesn't change.
0: Yeah. And and it it says that you can have the light of his countenance restored to you, um, but it says you must humble, beg pardon, um, And renew your faith and repentance. So it gives us instructions as well. So it gives us hope, gives us instructions, gives us um, just great encouragement as we continue moving through the confession. All right. Well, thank you everyone for again, joining us uh, next week of Adoption Chapter 12. And Lord willing, we'll see you then.